All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on June the 5th, 2018. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to invite you to keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises, or whatever other comments you might have. Keep them coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are RN Resources, Balmoral Resources, Bontero Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold Corp., Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. Now, you should know that our sponsors are all by my invitation. It isn't enough for companies to say, here's the money, let me be a sponsor. No, I try to pick the companies that I like, that I've invested in, that are in uh, recommendations in my newsletter. Uh, That way, in good conscience, can put them out in front of you because they're companies that I have vetted, companies that I believe in, uh, and have put my own money uh, into. So, uh, just to let you know, that's our modus operandi here uh, for this show. Um, just a, a few notes about a, a couple of the sponsors on our show. Novo Resources, uh, the shares really were hit very hard last Thursday when the first bulk samples from the company's 80% held Comet Well Target was reported. They were lower than, I suppose, many of the speculative interests were anticipating. The stock was rising fairly consistently up until that time, uh, but when a, a 10.4 gram per ton for a 7.1 ton bulk sample um, was disappointing to many people, I suspect, who were thinking in terms of over one ounce per ton, which uh, was, is, was sort of the numbers that they got at Purdy's Reward, where Novo shares a, a 50-50 interest in that project, which is just up uh, uh, very, very close uh, next door, in fact. Uh, to uh, Comet Well. Uh, there was a, a lower grade too, 1.5 grams per ton over 6.8, uh, a 6.8 bulk ton sample. Now in most cases, uh, right on surface, uh, easy metallurgy, everything else combined, those kind of numbers would knock your socks off as far as most companies are concerned. The shares would be rising dramatically, but this is no ordinary story, of course. Uh, but I do think that speculators are they're sort of quick hit and run artists. Uh, the big picture, as far as Quentin Henning is concerned and the Novo Resources is concerned, it hasn't changed. If anything, Dr. Quentin Henning is as optimistic as ever. 
that he is on to the next Whitwater's Rand gold discovery. In an interview I did with him this past weekend, he noted that this is an enormous gold system that stretches out some 500 kilometers. There is every reason for optimism, and over the coming weeks, assays from 12 more bulk samples will be reported. And with that, we should get a much better understanding of the grade and dimensions of not one, but two gold-hosted conglomerate layers of rocks uh, at Comet Wells that has been discovered thus far. This represents an ancient shoreline of this massive, uh, of this massive ancient monster seabed, shallow seabed, exactly the environment that Dr. Henning was looking for uh, to find the next Whitwater's Rand, and the rocks being something on the order of 2.7 billion years of age, uh, fitting the theory that he had as to how uh, this was a precipitation event, and we've gone into that many times before, uh, so not time to talk about that now, but of course, Dr. Henning has talked about it. I write about it. It's a very fascinating story. It is the most interesting story that I have covered in decades of writing my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Well, I had planned to play my interview with Dr. Henning on today's show, but since it stretched out for more than 24 minutes, it was just too lengthy to include in today's program. However, you can listen to it on the video page at jtaylormedia.com. Go to jtaylormedia.com, click on the video page, and you can uh, listen to my interview conducted last weekend uh, with Dr. Henning. Another sponsor to the show, Bonterra Resources, announced yesterday uh, a step-out hole that created 34 grams per ton of gold over 2.8 meters. Now, this was part of the winter drill program, which has now extended the deposit another 50 meters to the west. It is my firmly held belief that Bonterra's shares are likely to rise very considerably when the company reports its updated resources uh, its updated resource numbers, which will grow, it has to, in my view, has to grow dramatically given the massive increase in the size of the deposit. Well, it's not only that it's a very high-grade deposit, uh, but it's, it also is uh, right on surface. Bonterra is a very well-funded company with $65 million in the till. Behind it are the likes of Kirkland, Lake Gold, uh, Eric Sprott, and Van Eck. Uh, I would suggest you keep your eyes on this story. The stock is trading at around 36 cents uh, earlier today when I checked it. Uh, Bonterra Resources, again, one of our sponsors, a stock that I own and one that has been a recommendation in my newsletter. Another one I'd like to mention today is Northern Empire Resources. They announced uh, that, it, uh, the, that they drilled a 28.96-meter intercept that graded 1.14 grams of gold per ton near its SNA deposit. Now, this was one of several lengthy intercepts of oxide-hosted gold mineralization in and around the SNA deposit. Uh, this is towards the eastern end of the crown targets, which are, co- are collectively uh, at the north end of the company's sterling deposit. There are several deposits, and the question is to what extent do these various deposits link together? Um, well, the company is on an aggressive drill program uh, it's a really exciting story. It should be noted that Crown, the Crown Group of gold de- uh, pr- uh, deposits, uh, they completely surround the Motherlode gold deposit that is being expanded by Corvus Gold, where they are gaining some very exciting results, long intersections of very nice high-grade oxides, uh, and that has driven Corvus Gold shares much higher. Northern Empire has performed quite well, too, but I think as the program continues that you will see 
some more, many more exciting results. And I visited the Northern Empires Project earlier this year, and I can tell you, for all the reasons that I've written in my newsletter, I think this stock is poised for a significant run uh, higher this year. You may wish to listen to my interview with the company's president, Mike Allen, who was on my show on May 29th. And uh, you can go to my podcast page at jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, the podcast page, uh, to listen to that interview. I would like to bring to your attention two more uh, sponsors to this show, which are which were also companies that I invited to the May Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver. I'm talking about Klondike Gold and Balmoral Resources. Now, you can watch the presentations of both of those companies, the two sponsors of this show, as well as the presentations of, of three other companies that I cover in my newsletter, namely Skeena Resources, Telson Mining Corporation, and Great Bear Resources. You just go to jtaylormedia.com, go to the video page, um, and you can uh, see those presentations by those companies. Also, you can hear uh, my discussion. I had a 20-minute talk at the Metals Investor Forum, which is also available at the video page uh, at J. Taylor Media. My talk was about uh, was titled, 2018, A Year of Epic Market Disruptions? Question mark. Uh, and you can see what I have to say there and, and why I believe that before this year is over, we may very well see some very dramatic moves uh, in the equity markets and other markets as well. I've titled today's show, Shining the Light on Paul Krugman's False Narrative. Keith Weiner and Michael Oliver are my guests uh, this week. One of Paul Krugman's false statements relating to the markets is that infinite debt is okay as long as we owe the debt to ourselves. Keith Weiner will explain why Krugman's logic on that issue is false and how endless levels of debt is setting the world up for a massive economic implosion. How does Keith think this cycle uh, after, how does, the question in my mind is, how does Keith really think about this cycle? We've had cycle upon cycle of pathological Krugman and Keynesian uh, economics being employed. Will it be through the fires of a hyperinflation or by way of a deflationary implosion? Or might we have to face both extreme outcomes before some semblance of, equ- of equilibrium, economic equilibrium is restored? Well, we will speak to Keith about these theoretical issues as well as the ability for you as a gold owner to safely earn a yield on your gold holdings. But before we get to Keith, we will be talking to Michael Oliver as soon as we come back from our first commercial break. So uh, we are going to go to break now, first commercial break uh, of this week. And uh, when we come back, we want to ask Michael Oliver what he sees in the gold markets and uh, some other interesting markets that I think Michael will have some comments on. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. 
The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Michael Oliver. Um, you, can, uh, you, uh, you can check in with uh, Michael. I would suggest that all our listeners go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com, to learn more about Michael and his work. Michael, thanks for joining me again. Good to be here again. And, uh, yeah, so the equity market just doesn't doesn't uh, want to do what I think you thought it was going to do some time ago. Uh, yeah. It isn't. What, what it were, I mean, it, it just seems as though it doesn't seem to have the same sort of upward trajectory that it had. It seems like it's maybe uh, topping out. It would seem if you look at the chart longer term. But I don't know what you're the technical yeah, guy. No, I what think you, it's to, I think it's topped. I think now I'm talking the broad market now. I'm talking the index that covers 500 stocks. And they're all large companies, and that's the S&P 500. I think mm-hmm. probably you saw the high. Uh, mm-hmm. Last September, actually it was September the 11th, we had a report, and I, I showed tops of, of S&P tops going back in history for you know, four or five prior tops. And I, I, to explain to subscribers that it's not always 29 or 87. Mm-hmm. And when you look at a lot of the old tops, they were what I call, the term we used was arduous. And I, I speculated in that report, I think this one's going to be arduous, too. And I said, don't look for the top until 2018. And, uh, well, we didn't peak until late January 2018. And, and we had the first hard wobble. And then for the last four to five months since the February low, the market has been wheel spinning on the S&P. <laughs> with lows down around 2550, 2600s. And highs up in the as high as 2,800, which got back within 70 points of the January high. That was back in uh-huh. early March. But we've, we've really, if you just look at a weekly bar chart of the S and P since, let's say, uh, February low, you'll notice it's, it's wheel spinning. There's a lot of rubber burning, and <laughs> it's going up and down, up and down, and up and down. And there's a gradual, maybe, upward bias within that clump of ink, but it really hasn't gone anywhere. And right now, we're about 130 points off the high. Of, of the year, right. and uh, a statistic uh, my son Brett, who works with me at MSA, uh, gave me the other day was that 68% of the total return of the S&P year-to-date comes from, I think it was four stocks. Wow. And I don't, e- I don't even need to tell you the names, okay? This is exceptionally, exceptionally narrow leadership situation, and it's exhibited primarily not in the S&P, though they've had a big influence there of holding it afloat, 
but in the NASDAQ 100. Right. Which is a much narrower uh, and a more heavily front-end weighted index of those particular symbols. Therefore, it's making a new high. Mm-hmm. And, of course, everybody has been taught uh, in rudimentary in- investing to seek value, you know, that kind of thing. They're yeah. chasing a handful of stocks uh, that are represented by that index and by the ETF PNQI. And, and but it's an exceptionally narrow situation here. And, therefore, I am not impressed whatsoever that the NASDAQ makes a new high. In fact, now that it's done the new high, I want a new high up to at least 7,200. We're just short of that right now. I think it's the number I'm looking for. But anyway, it's very narrow. It's a 10-year-old bull market. Think twice. Mm-hmm. Okay? History's not on your side. Um, so, And we take that same principle and, and apply it to commodities as well. Uh, for instance, um, oil has been quite strong uh, since, well, we, we turned bullish on oil in, in April of, two, of 2016. It was uh, at $42 at that point. And we've suggested about two to three chunks out of the upside move for our subscribers. Instead of catching the whole thing, we, we suggested chunks, and it was an appropriate way because oil had some big givebacks during that move. But it got up to 72, you know, a few weeks ago. So it's had a yeah. good percentage move from a $26 low to a 72 high. That is not the commodity to be pinning your money on. Look for value. Look mm-hmm. for exhausted markets. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of them are fairly exotic, like uranium. Recently, we said, okay, it's a buy. The problem is you can't buy uranium. There, are, there is a futures contract, but it's so illiquid that you can't trade it. But at least the price information from Chicago Merck that we get on the futures allowed us to analyze that underlying com- that energy commodity, and it, it's off the page in terms of price. It's way below cost mm-hmm. of production. And so we suggested go with um, CCJ, Cameco, uh, which is – produces 15% of the world's uranium. Yes. What is an ETF of uranium stocks? Think value, because that's where you can get the greatest percent explosive gain from levels that are off the page. I mean, uranium prices, where they are now, they could almost double and they'd still be cheap, Yeah. historically speaking. Um, oh, no question. Yeah. No, no question about it. No, no question about it. The uranium producers, very few of them are... Are able to make money. Cameco, which you just noted, yeah. is one exception with extremely high grade uranium up in uh, in Canada. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so so there are a couple of ways to play it. I guess. Yeah. Uh, go oh, ahead. Natural gas sorry. is another one. You know, it doesn't move with oil. It's laying in the weeds for the last year at very low levels. And oh yeah, I know that we get a lot of natural gas, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the technicals say. Uh, it, some levels barely above where the market is now that it's going to break out. And what it does, it could easily double in price rapidly within six months, or to our view, uh, from roughly the, the uh, not double in price, excuse me, go up 50%. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's 290 area now. We think it, uh, give or take three, uh, it could easily go to 450. And even 450 on natural gas is off the page dirt cheap when you look at historical yeah. charts. So it's not really a big move, but a percent-wise... If you can make 50% in something or 30% in something, and there's plenty of commodities like that, sugar looks poised for a turn. Uh, we've got specific numbers that we specify. They haven't been hit yet. Coffee, uh, things you don't think about. But there are commodities that have been beat off the page. They've gone dead, meaning I'm not going down anymore. Uh, they're not going to go to zero. And they built bases, and they've got structures to go. When they break out, they're going to surge. 
Uh, we also continue to advocate holding a uh, long position in the precious metals, gold and silver, and or related mines. Um, but chasing the strong commodities like copper, which has been pretty strong, or oil, is not the place to be now. We think there's uh, better places to be. And we think some of the percent moves you could see in those markets to make the stock market look like nothing in terms right. of speed and percent that can be gained. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Michael, uh, with regard to gold, um, how close do you think we are to some sort of a breakout? I think you're, last week I believe you told me uh, you're not too concerned now about the need to go neutral. Yeah. But in, in terms of uh, the upside, uh, how close might we be to something that could I've, I've got some numbers, trick- and I, I don't want to give everything away because, you know, sure. I have people that pay. But uh, sure. roughly speaking, like, like the August contract is not quite front month yet. June is still on the board, uh, and it's about 4 bucks above the June contract. But August gold is trading up 1303 today. Um, <clears throat> and I think last week when we spoke – Gold was at thirteen oh two, so yeah. it's it's taken the dollar's rally in stride fairly well because the percent decline in gold we've had since the beginning of the year is actually I think less than the percent increase in the dollar, which is highly unusual because normally gold's about double mm-hmm. what the dollar does. You know, if if to the extent that it's linked to it, uh, to some extent it is, of course, but it's not. It's also uh, it's a competitor to other currencies as well, but. Um, it, it, it's held very well, and I think, frankly, if you ever saw 1320 again, you could just scratch it off. The, the correction's over. We're going up. Uh, and I've got some numbers a little bit lower than that even, mm-hmm. around 1310, which mm-hmm. is like to say seven bucks above today's high in August gold. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it looks pretty good. I'm, I'm sort of more keen on watching silver because I, I have a sense that the next move up in those two markets, silver's going to be a little more robust. Mm-hmm. Um, for, variety, for mainly for technical reasons, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, six of one, half dozen of the other, they, they both look poised to come out of their sleep and go up again, and they've taken the beating, whatever the dollar could dish out to them in its counter-trend rally. Uh, mm-hmm. they've, they've taken it well. In fact, silver's taken it with a total yawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on its chart, it's been sideways for over a year. So you don't even right. know there was a dollar rally. Right. Uh, uh, Michael, with with regard yeah. to the dollar, so you think this is only a counter trend rally that's Absolutely. about run its course? I think it may have seen its high. Uh, it was just mm-hmm. above ninety five on the dollar index. Right now we're trading in the high ninety threes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you drop about point uh, thirty below where you're trading right now, they're gonna you you could probably circle the high and say that was the corrective high. Mm-hmm. And I. I the reason I call it a, a counter-trend rally is when I look at long-term technical studies that we run, momentum, uh, annual momentum, quarterly, um, so forth, long-term stuff, the rally doesn't, isn't breaking out over anything. It's just, it's just a flare. It's a little flare in a downtrend. Uh, normally, we need when you, when you have a turn in a market that is a trend-changing turn, you can look at your momentum charts and see something being broken out above or below. In this case, the dollar rally, the only way to find something that broke out above is to go down to dailies or weeklies. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you go to monthlies and, and plot them versus a three-year average, for example, or a three-quarter average, there's no, they're not breaking out of anything. You're just having a rally in a downtrend. After all, it went. you've got to remember, it went from 103.50 yeah. to just above 88 without a, without a major rally. Finally, we got a mm-hmm. rally, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it's probably petering out. 
why, why the euro, which is 57% of the dollar index, would want to go up. I really don't know, and I don't care. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense, but fiat currencies don't make any sense anyway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I just I think it's the, import, the dollar issue is very important because, obviously, this uh, so-called stronger dollar the last little while has put some pressure on a lot of the emerging market uh, currencies mm-hmm. and countries, and so I wanted to ask you about the emerging markets because I know that's one area that you were bullish on, and I, I gather you still are bullish as I look yes. at your charts from the weekend here. I'm looking at an EEM. Um, well, this is, I guess, an EEM. This is a, a S&P 500 monthly closes, EMM monthly close versus the S&P mm-hmm. 500. But but what is your, your view generally on the emerging markets, realizing that, they're, of course, they, every market is different? They had a, we uh, expected a correction after a massive surge. Uh, we got bullish in January of 2017, and uh, the EEM, which is an ETF of the emerging markets, mm-hmm. uh, went up about uh, almost double what the S&P did during the same period of time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when the S&P wobbled hard in February and, and started the corrective pull, not a corrective pullback, but the topping process, EEM had a correction. And the correction mm-hmm. went to levels that we thought it would go to. And since mm-hmm. then, it started to firm again. Uh, I still think the EEM is correlated to a commodity upturn. Mm-hmm. Commodity upturn, most people don't quite see it yet because it isn't across the board. But right. we clearly had gold as well off the lows of a couple of years ago, oil is, copper is, so forth. And there's a lot of other ones that are about to do that. Uh, and I think particularly some of those growing commodities, like the stuff that Brazil makes, you know, <laughs> sugar, cocoa, coffee, uh, coffee soybeans, yeah. so forth. Mm-hmm. Those type of things, when they, when they come alight, uh, it's going to help a lot of the emerging markets um, on a relative basis. Sure. So what we've advocated is after the surge in the EEM on a net price basis, which was explosively strong, far vastly outpaced the S&P. We suggested late last year and early this year that those who are long the EEM should hedge that position now, hold the EEM long, but short the S&P against it, or an equivalent mm-hmm. of the S&P. So mm-hmm. create a, a global market-neutral situation, long emerging, short developed markets. And I think that spread is going to work out just fine over the next year or two. Right. Well, it certainly has worked out Yeah, well, uh, your so betting far. Is, is the difference to come back to more normality, because the EEM was clobbered from Mm -hmm. 2011 to 2016 while the S&P was going up with QEs, the EEM was collapsing, Mm -hmm. just like commodities were. Yeah. uh, So it's a flexible market. It's one year old. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's quite the correlation, no doubt. And uh, and I guess with regard to oil, you would be sort of sitting on the sidelines or just neutral kind of with it now? What we like about oil right now is I think it's it, it's continued to go higher, but I don't think the percentages that it's going to go yeah. higher are that great anymore. It's done so uh-huh. much in the last year and a half or so, or two years. Um, what we do like is long uh, energy-related stocks, like XLE, the ETF for energy-related stocks, against the S&P. That was mm-hmm. a very punished sector. It dropped 50% yeah. from 2014 to 16. And therefore, it is in a different technical category and fundamental category that is in the S&P. It's, it, it, it had a bear market. It is correlated to a, a rising commodity, even, albeit not an explosively rising commodity anymore, but one that should be retain firmness. And therefore, we like the energy stocks relative to the S&P on a spread basis. Mm-hmm. 
you know, again, well, I think uh, I'm wondering if you wouldn't see the same thing with the gold shares too. Then yes, well, except they're always in a different world <laughs> stock market. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah. whereas energy stocks sometimes correlate with the stock yes. market. Yes, so we're, we're, that's true. We're betting that if the S and P goes down, and even if the energy stocks go down, they're going to go down far less, or they may even continue to go upward while the S and P goes down. After all, they dropped fifty percent during 2014 to 2016. Well, the S&P went up, so they can go opposite the S&P, the XLE yeah. I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so, uh, but oh, we, right. we treat it again as, as again, as a spread, uh, something mm-hmm. we, we like. We like uh, those kind of situations where you're betting on the difference between two assets, wow. a net you, trend bet, but a, yeah. a difference bet, yeah. Yeah, I should tell my listeners that you frequently do that in, in all different markets. You're looking mm-hmm. at spreads and... Um, it's. Uh, I mean, you just uh, sort of touched the surface. Some of the more important markets, from from our perspective, some of the bigger markets. But boy, you cover so many different things, uh, so many different ways to make money with Oliver MSA, folks. And I would just suggest you go there, Michael. I understand you won't be with us next week. Uh, you have something else. You have to take you away from the show. But uh, I want to thank you so much for your generous time this week and, and for being with us. And we'll look forward, hopefully, to having you back again sometime in the following week if possible. Good. Thank you, Jay. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Oh, okay, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because when we come back, I'm going to be talking to Keith Wiener. He is the CEO and founder of Monetary Metals, and he's going to talk to us about uh, Paul Krugman's notion that you can just simply, it doesn't matter how much debt you put on the books as long as you owe it to yourselves. And we're going to question Keith about that and, and some other related topics, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Keith Wiener. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the second time Keith Wiener. Keith uh, is a PhD. Um, he is the uh, CEO and founder of Monetary Metals. That's a leading authority in the areas of gold, money, and credit, and 
has made important contributions to the development of trading techniques founded upon the analysis of bid-ask spreads. He is the founder of Diamondware, that's a software company sold to Nortel in 2008, and he currently serves as president of the uh, Gold Standard Institute USA. And uh, he earned his PhD from the new Austrian School of Economics, and that explains uh, one of the major reasons that he's a guest on the show. Uh, he was with us a, a few weeks back. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Keith. Thanks for having me, Jay. Really good to have you with me again. Now, I, I'm, before we get into uh, the topic that I'd like to talk to you today, uh, one of the things, at least, is uh, Paul Krugman's notion that it doesn't matter how much debt you take on as long as you owe it to yourselves. No big deal. Stop fretting, you conservatives. Uh, what I want to ask you about the Gold Standard Institute, I mean, Gold Standard Institute, I mean, is there... Explain to us what its purpose is and, and what your function is there. So Goldstein Institute is a 501c3 um, tax-exempt organization under the IRS rules. Uh-huh. Um, I guess we didn't run into the um, lowest learner uh, Tea Party stuff because I think we um, got our tax-exempt status in the middle of all that in 2012. Oh. Um, but the... Uh, the purpose of it is to um, help educate and, you know, outreach to people to explain the ideas of what uh, a proper gold standard looks like um, and to help them understand what some of the problems are with our monetary system. And, and I just, if I may, I just want to go off on a, on a one-minute rant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the argument that most people use against the dollar in favor of the gold standard is inflation. Mm-hmm. I think inflation is a tax. And, okay, you know, in a certain sense, I, I could dispute that. But if inflation is a tax, it's a 2 or 3% tax. Don't we have bigger fish to fry? Yeah. I mean, is that the most important thing to, to put our time and energy into? And so, essentially, the argument that, that I make and, and we, the Gold Standard Institute, make is that actually rising prices are not the most important or most urgent issue. Um, and we've got a lot of other things, including exponentially rising debt. So the debt doesn't just grow. It grows exponentially. Yes, and government debt, government debt doubles about every eight years. Um, that's a little bit hard to measure because the government keeps its books using what's called cash basis. And without getting too technical, it is illegal, as in go to jail. If you run a business enterprise with more than $5 million in annual revenue, which is still well within the territory of small business, anything larger than $5 million in revenue, you are required to use the accrual basis. Mm-hmm. And the government, as big as it is, and it's obviously involved in banking and lending and insurance and retirement funds and all these things that really need accrual accounting, uses cash basis accounting. And so the debt that it admits to is currently, what is it, $21 trillion or something like that, it jumped up $600 billion in Q1. Uh, alone, which is obviously an astounding new record, but that record will soon be beat. But it doubles about every eight years. And then if you look at the St. Louis Fed has a series called Total Credit Market Debt Outstanding, um, which shows, you know, not just government, but, you know, all loans and bonds uh, throughout the entire economy. And, um, you know, at a time when, you know, GDP grew by $900 billion, Total debt grew by something like three and a half trillion, and yeah. so, so the problem is we get a diminishing return. We borrow to increase the economy, 
but we have to borrow more and more to get less and less increase. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously not a sustainable trend. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So it's not just the inflation issue. There's other issues that are even more that are more uh, damaging uh, from this endless amount of debt. I'd like to tell. I just suggest to our subscriber or to our listeners that they go to the usdebtclock.org, usdebtclock.org. I mean, it's a really amazing. If you watch the numbers, uh, it's uh, in real time. It just shows the U.S. national debt, but all kinds of other very important off-balance sheet uh, statistics, too, that are just, it's just amazing. It's mind-boggling, Keith. You're right. It's exponential. If you look at the growth of debt, total debt in our economy, uh, it's growing exponentially, and, and GDP, to the extent it's growing at all, is growing in a linear fashion, and I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to realize that that can't go on forever. So, but Paul Krugman thinks it can, and highly acclaimed by the establishment, he thinks it can, and debt is just a, a non-issue. I guess Lord Keynes believed the same thing, right? So, so this leads me to the topic I'd like to, one of the things at least I'd like to ask you about and have you talk about today, and that is this whole notion that Krugman suggests that it doesn't matter, you know, we the whole, you know, and we, you know, I think most people are drinking this Kool-Aid, Keith, because we don't hear anybody talking about this anymore. 10, 20 years ago, there was still concern in the mainstream about debt, about living responsibly and paying your way. As government spend, you needed to pay for it. Of course, you and I probably believe that government should spend very little, if any at all. But given that, uh, at least there was some sense that there had to be some responsible spending pattern to government. But with reference to that, you, you wrote an article on May 29th uh, at, posted at monetary-metals.com. And I'd like to really mention to people, go to monetary-metals.com uh, to keep up with what Keith's doing and many other many things, many things he writes about, but the, the products of the company as well. Um, I would like to, so I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, can you, ha- you know, help these, if we probably have some Kool-Aid drinkers listening right now, in fact. It's hard not to be a Kool-Aid drinker. We hear it all the day. Propaganda is in that direction. Help us understand why Krugman is is really off base here on this issue. So, so don't forget, you forgot to mention, his, uh, he got a Nobel Prize. Yes. Not only is he highly acclaimed, but he's a prize-winning um, economist. But, yes. um or whatever. You know, one of the curious things about all this is that even the conservative economists um, will call it the Wall Street Journal camp versus the New York Times sure. camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, argue that um, you know we can grow our way out of the debt problem. So they acknowledge there's a debt, but they say we can grow our way out of it. And so I, I keep asking the question. I find I don't get an answer. And if you don't get an answer, then maybe that signals. You know, you're asking something sensitive and you know, you're touching buttons people don't want you to touch. Mm-hmm. But the, the question I, answer, as I ask is, wait, so there's a concept, I didn't invent this concept, this concept has been around for decades or a century or more, called marginal productivity of debt. Yeah. And that's what I just said earlier in informal mm-hmm. terms, how much GDP do you add for every new dollar of debt? Mm-hmm. And that's been, that's been in decline since at least 1950, which is the oldest data series I've been able to get. Um, I suspect it's been declining much longer than that, either back to 1933 or 1913. Uh, I give it a toss-up as to which of those two is the origin of that trend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now we get something like 25 cents of GDP for every dollar we borrow. Yes. Um, so, you know, the question I keep asking, and I don't get an answer, is why do, why don't the, forget the Paul Krugmans who are just, you know, mendacious. I mean, I don't 
really think anybody thinks of him as an economist. I think both sides, I mean, his fans as well as his critics, regard him as a hack for the left. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, hate him for that or whether you love him for that depends on whether you want the left to win. Uh, but I don't think anybody really thinks of him as an economist at this point. But, you know, there are much more serious economists, you know, conservatives, who will talk about growing around as a debt. And nobody mentions, nobody talks about. I posted a Facebook last week, and this just absolutely blows my mind. If you search for marginal productivity of debt, you know, me and my name and my articles dominate the first page. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not because I'm, I'm all that. I mean, I know where I stand in the hierarchy of how much fame and fortune I have relative to other economists, which is to say I'm not very high on the, on the ladder. Um, the reason why I can dominate the first page is because nobody else is writing about it. Yeah. They've essentially abandoned the field. And so, of course, a junior high football team could beat an NFL team if the NFL team didn't show up. They didn't mm-hmm. bother to get on a plane and show up. So, you know, of course, you know, the, the game would be won by forfeit, right? Um, Nobody talks about this, and as soon as you say we're going to grow our way out of the debt, and the answer is, but the debt is growing much faster, and there's a diminishing return of ever more debt forever, less GDP, then you realize that argument just doesn't hold any water. So, um, and to your point about how can Krugman say, you know, we owe it to ourselves, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I like to hold up a standard, and that is, we'll call it the precocious eighth grader. So by the time somebody's in eighth grade, they shouldn't really have magical thinking anymore. I mean, obviously, at six years old, you know, people believe that a fat man with a red suit comes down a chimney full of soot and, you know, loose presents and stuff. Um, and they believe in the tooth fairy and, and all those things. But by eighth grade, you know, all that stuff should be gone, and they should be able to more or less think. Obviously, they're not educated, and they still have a lot to learn. But they should be able to, you know, see certain things. And I think any precocious eighth grader could see that you just can't get something for nothing. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's what that, that's what that amounts to, to say, yeah. well, we owe it to ourselves. That basically means let's just borrow infinite, and there's no problem because we owe it to ourselves. And you should be able to see it just at a very common sense level. Something's wrong. There's no such thing as infinite free lunch. Now, you know, maybe it takes a PhD in economics, maybe it doesn't, to figure out where that so-called free lunch is really being paid for. But the fact that there's no such thing as a free lunch, I think by the age of 13 or 14, anybody should be able to see that it ain't so. Well, I, I would suggest that maybe the eighth grader could think more clearly about that than the Ph.D. economist because he's been, <laughs> he's been led to believe he's been indoctrinated with, uh, with Keynesian economics or some form of a theory, some theory that has nothing to do with anything. But he passed his exam and he got his degree from Harvard, Princeton or Yale. By saying that, and how could anybody question that? Uh, the problem isn't what they know, but what they know isn't so. Right. <laughs> so, you know, um, actually, I would like to perhaps have you talk a little bit about the example that you gave in the small agricultural economy. In your, and, and we su- again su- suggest to our listeners that they go to uh, they go to Keith's website. Uh, the uh, the website to learn to read uh, this article and others many others and I think Keith you write uh, at least a couple of times a week right two or three times a week you write articles maybe more often than that I don't know um, it's typically at least once a week and then yeah. sometimes more depending on what's going on topically or yeah otherwise well, it's a big commitment to write it's it's like a lot of it takes a lot of work. work yeah it and does it, it does yes it does and 
so that's why people should go there and read it, monetarymetals.com. But on May 29th, you wrote an article uh, exactly, providing a, a simplistic example of why this just isn't true, that you can't just uh, you know issue infinite amounts of debt and uh, and it doesn't matter. You showed exactly why it does matter. And I'm wondering if, if maybe you could relate that story. I mean, the story starts out with, uh, I guess, Joe lends some seed to Bill, uh, who is a deadbeat borrower, essentially. But would, would you care to go through that story a little bit now? Yeah, Talk sure. I'm putting myself in an interesting position. I'm going to probably botch my own story. Uh, and just have to say it's better in the reading than in the in the telling. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I, the reading is obviously, if people take the time to read it, I think it just clarifies and shows the, you know, why Krugman, is, his logic is just completely false. Uh, but go but go ahead. and uh, So, so um, you see, I have a farmer who, who um, you know, in a simple agrarian economy, wants to fallow his field, which, you know, to, to let it replenish and plant, I think in my example, was... Uh, um, beans or peas or something like that. I don't remember yeah. what the example clover, was. Clover, so, I think. Uh, clover, right, for the, for yeah. the cows or the horses. Um, so, um, he, all this um, seed, um, you know, to plant wheat, but obviously he's not going to need it that year. And rather than keep it for a whole year, in which, you know, a lot of the seeds get off, um, plus he can earn some interest, he lends it to, um, uh, was to it Bill? Bill? Bill yeah. lends it to Joe. Joe lends it to Bill. I don't remember. Yeah, Joe lent it to Bill, it and he was going to get ten percent more seed back at the end of the year because Bill would would take the seed and plant it in the ground, have a crop, and be able to return the seed plus ten percent to uh, to Joe, and and then Joe um, and then Joe would be able to let his horses graze on the clover and enrich the soil that year through the clo- uh, through the crop of clover. But then something happens when. Uh, when Bill gets the seed, he doesn't act responsibly, right? Right. He, he just he just feasts on it because, of course, seed for wheat is wheat. Yeah. So he just he just feasts and eats it. Now, unbeknownst to Bill, the lender that, that Joe is doing this, um, Bill borrows from uh, an old retired guy gold to build a new thrashing barn. Yeah. And that's going to increase his productivity. He's anticipating a bigger harvest, obviously, with his soil more fertile and 10% more seed besides. He's going to get a much bigger harvest, so he's going to need a new barn in which to thresh it. So he borrows the gold to build the barn. And then, lo and behold, um, uh, uh, Joe Bill. doesn't... Joe does uh, Bill, Bill. Um, obviously, He doesn't repay uh, because he's consumed the seed. Yeah. Right. And so this, this is my definition of inflation, by, by the way, is not... Increasing quantity of, of money, it's been it's it's a counterfeiting or a monetary fraud. So by by borrowing this to eat, um, you know, he commits a fraud, and says I'll pay you back plus ten percent. But actually, he has neither the means nor the intent to do that. And so obviously, um, the, you know, this poor farmer has now borrowed to build this barn. He's not going to pay. So that means the old man in retirement um, is now screwed out of his retirement. And he's going to have to tighten his, his belt. Um, obviously, uh, the borrower is going to have to tighten his belt, and unfortunately, the farmer is going to have to tighten his belt because he's traded away seed, which is a perfectly good capital asset in that economy, and gotten a barn, which he now doesn't need. And so everybody is worse off than they were before, um, you know, even though, you know, obviously, obviously everything settles 
you know, the, the debt's default and the credit is wiped away and everybody, you know, the farmer is even, right? He gets an asset without paying for it, but he loses another asset without being paid. But he's mm-hmm. traded an asset that was a productive asset for another asset, which is unproductive. And mm-hmm. so we see in this example, the retiree is screwed. He may starve. The farmer mm-hmm. now has a malinvestment. That's what the Austrian school would call that. Um, and everybody's worse off. Yeah. And this is precisely, I mean, I tried to be as fair as possible to Krugman in the, you know, we owe it to ourselves. And this was a tiny little community in which three or four people, you know, had a little chain of debt going. Um, and yet they're all screwed in the end. Yeah. Arthur, the, uh, the older guy who couldn't really work too much anymore, but he was responsible through his life, saved his money, uh, had a hoard of gold, and he lent it out. And then he loses it, too, because of this deadbeat. But let me ask you this, Keith. If, uh, if Bill, who borrowed the seed initially, uh, had done what he's supposed to do, there wouldn't have been a problem, right? That's right. Joe would have been repaid the plus the 10%. It would have planted. Or, or, or of, course, of course, there could have been a, a weather event or something that destroyed his crop, and he couldn't have returned it, too. That's another possibility. The point is that in, re- in the real world, things happen that, that, that are less than, I mean, this is a less than perfect world, so... Whether or not it was intentional on Bill's part, or whether he just decided to, you know, say the hell with the with the borrower, I don't care what happens to him. I'm going to just enjoy life and 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 go for all the gusto while I can, and and you know, I don't care about tomorrow. Or or sometimes just things happen that are beyond your control as well. The point is that if it's done on credit like this, uh, it's it's. I mean, your point is well taken. I mean, here's the Bill who lends the or Joe, I should say, who lends to Bill. And Joe has, you know, he both his assets and liabilities are wiped out. So, as you say, everybody is worse off in this in this extreme simplified case, of course. But you also point out then that you know, in a larger economy, a lot of things can go right for quite a while and keep the game going seemingly for quite a while, right? Yes, Adam Smith who said there's a lot of ruin in a nation. And I think about stuff like this when when I think about that quote. That sure, okay, you know, you have people that are committing fraud and they're cheating, and um, and the fact that the entire system doesn't blow up doesn't mean that cheating is okay. Uh, well, we, we cheat ourselves, and therefore it's fine, to, to paraphrase Krugman, but it just means, okay, we're really rich, we've accumulated capital over many centuries, it doesn't all go bye-bye in one instant. It takes a lot of time, unfortunately um, you know, or unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, okay, so how does this thing, I mean, you can, I think you can very easily relate this simplified story to what happened to us in 2008, 2009, at least it seems like that to me, and how does this thing ultimately play out? Now, we've had cycle after cycle in which the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world have never allowed equilibrium to be restored, right? And how does this thing ultimately play out, Keith? Do you see... The fires of inflation, an inflationary explosion, ultimately, because more money has to be printed faster and faster, or do we go through some sort of a, a hellish debt debt uh, implosion, 2008-2009 um, uh, squared or cubed? Yeah, I mean, what's going on is borrowing without the means or intent to repay, and so the, the debtors are getting squeezed. Uh, eventually they default and then when the defaults happen in earnest you know you get a 2008 and then the central banks quash it and they do all kinds of crazy unprecedented measures 
Um, one of the things that particularly got me in 2009 was they altered centuries of bankruptcy law and yeah. they reordered the yeah. priority of different creditors. And they said, okay, right. well, you know, the unions will come ahead of the bondholders and I think even in secured bondholders. Um, and so, you know, this does huge damage to our, you know, the fabric of our civilization, ultimately. Absolutely. But, but at the end of the day, this this idea that um, we have to borrow more and more to get a diminishing return of less and less GDP uh, leads to what I call the economic heat death or the heat death of the economic universe. That you get to a point where the whole thing can't be sustained anymore. Um, and, you know, whether that's hyperinflation and prices go to infinity or whether it's a hyperdeflation and nobody has any money and so prices collapse but it doesn't do you any good that a coffee is a penny because you haven't got a penny doesn't really matter uh, the bottom line is things become very scarce we destroy productive capacity by artificially and perversely incentivizing people to be producing things for which there isn't real demand and to stop producing things for which there is and so that's what that's what the that does whenever it, it centrally plans is it distorts what activities are profitable and which activities are unprofitable. And so the unprofitable ones obviously cease, but those were activities that were economically important, and then other activities become profitable that shouldn't. And, um, you know, so you have lots of, you know, high-end hotels and booths and Ferraris and all these things, mm -hmm. um, because the people that have money to spend right now are the ones that are speculating on assets. Right, particularly with leverage, uh, but at the moment, you know, people think we have a rising interest rate trend. We'll see where that goes. I'm on record as saying that the trend remains falling. This is just a correction. Mm -hmm. But if interest rates really rise, then obviously the cost of carry for all these speculations rises, and that's going to cause. I just saw a graph last week. I don't remember who posted it now. Um, that showed margin debt, net margin debt in uh, brokerage accounts in the New York Stock Exchange. And it was, it was terrifying because we have the greatest net margin debt ever. That is, everybody is all in borrowing to bet on sure. assets. Mm -hmm. Long way street. Um, obviously, if asset prices reverse, then the margin calls you know, begin to come in. And um, you know, what had been a lot of fun on the way up becomes a lot of pain on the way down. Uh, terror. Uh, but at the end of the day, right? I th again, back to, the, back to the eighth grader. I think any eighth grader can tell you you can't print real wealth. And so, mm -hmm. so if you, you know, people think that the Fed can somehow make us all wealthier, and that's effectively what most people believe. They believe, they believe it. The yes, they do. If the stock market is rising and rising and rising, the people are getting richer. And, um, you know, their very means of, of measuring that is obviously very distorted, which is what the Fed does. Yeah. But um, everybody feels richer. And, and yet they're actually not rich. All they're doing is it's just another creative outlet to to incentivize capital destruction. All right, Keith, uh, we're going to have to leave it go with that. Keith, we're running out of we're basically out of time already, and uh, I'm I'm very sorry about that because I wanted to get on to uh, have you talk a little bit more about your products and how people can actually earn a reasonable yield on their gold holdings. We'll have to do that another time. Uh, but again, folks, you, you really need to go to monetary-metals.com, monetarymetals.com. Go there to read, and I would uh, really suggest that you read the, Heath, the Heat Death of the Economic Universe, which Keith was just alluding to. Very insightful, I think, in terms of helping relate the real world to what's going on in economics. Keith, I want to thank you so much for being with us again. 
and I hope we can do it again sometime in the near future. All right. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, folks. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, Alistair McLeod is going to be with me, and uh, he's going to talk about the reemergence of gold in the monetary system. Uh, I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Oren Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Oren's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Oren's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orenresources.com.